And while we're receiving our offering today, I want to welcome you. My name's Mark. If you are brand new here to Summit, we're just excited and honored and privileged to, uh, to have you here with us this morning. In fact, uh, Summit family, let's welcome everybody that's new here with us this morning. I see a lot of new faces here today. And uh, if you're here today for the very first time, we've got a great uh, free gift for you. Out there in the lobby to the right is our welcome table. When you walked in, hopefully uh, from one of our rock star guest service volunteers, you got what we call a connection card. And that's just a great way for uh, us to serve you. If we can pray for you about anything, write it down on that card. You can give it to us as you leave uh, here later on. If uh, anything that God does in your life today, we would love to know about it. But if you are a first-time guest We would actually ask you to take that connection card out there to the welcome table in the lobby to the right. When church is over, we've got a free gift for all of our first-time guests. And if you're a returning guest, we've also got a gift for you. Actually, uh, all of our uh, returning guests, we invite you guys to go to the welcome table right after church. We've got a free gift for you, but we have a thing that lasts about five minutes. It's called First Step. And uh, I'll be there, a couple of other of our leaders will be there, and we would just love to shake your hand, say, hey, thanks for coming back. And again, we've got a gift for you, just tells you how to get plugged in and connected here at, uh, at church. Um, but I want to say something else, though. If you are a regular attender at Summit, and I'm fired up that you guys are here, man, I'm so excited that honestly you came, and it's summertime in February right now. People have asked me all morning, Mark, what's the deal with the weather? And I said, don't worry about it, the world's ending. And... Um, so, uh, so uh, but I'm just excited that you're here today. Uh, but if you are a regular attender at Summit, i got to say something to you. And this is me just sharing from my heart this morning. Hey, it's great that you're here, but it doesn't end here. Did you know that? It's great that you're here, but God has more for you than this. And, and actually, uh, this is a great crowd um, on this morning, but church is more than Sunday morning. In fact, the main thing that God calls us to do is to be witnesses, salt and light, out there in the world and to get plugged in uh, to a church and just let him use our lives. And so I want to challenge you. If you are a regular attender at Summit, man, I want to challenge you. Do not sit on the sidelines. Jump in the game. And you can do that a couple of different ways. One, we started life groups this past week. And uh, man, can I just say, uh, my life group meets Wednesdays at 6.30, and we meet at the student building. We met this past week for the very first time. And man, it was an awesome awesome time. We got to hang out, laugh. We ate a bunch of cupcakes, and it was just amazing. We talked about what it means to be a disciple, and if you are not in a life group, man, jump into one. I know there's some that meet, meet, there's at least one that meets tonight right here, and they meet all throughout the week. The bread and butter, the bread and butter of the church, this thing right here is to get into a group where people know you, and you know them, and they can encourage you and pray with you and all that stuff. So join a life group. If you're a middle school, high school student, we got something for you. Every Sunday night, students at our student building over there in, in, uh, in Christopher, middle school meets at 5.30, and high school meets at 7.05. Students, you need to be in a group too. This is great that you're here. Man, take the step and come to students tonight. So one is join a life group. Let me t- mention one more thing, another opportunity for you to jump in, dive in, get plugged in, and that's next Sunday right after church. We are having our next partnership event. Partnership is what we call membership here at Summit, and if you want to make Summit your official Church, man, stick around next Sunday. You don't have to sign up for it. You can just come, bring your whole family. Lunch is provided. It's right over there in the multipurpose room where our kids are meeting right now. It lasts about one hour. And, man, you need to come next week, partnership event, all right? Hey, one more thing, one more thing, and then we're going to pray, and I'm gonna, we're going to uh, be in the book of Philippians this morning. Right after church today, okay? We've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks. 
Teresa's been up here on stage talking about it for the past couple of weeks. Right here uh, today, after church, in the multipurpose room, we are having an, a, a Celebrate Recovery interest meeting. If you want to be a part of Celebrate Recovery, if you want to know what Celebrate Recovery is all about, Christ-centered healing for our, our hang-ups, our habits, and, and, and addictions in our lives, man, it's going to be something that's going to be on the front lines of seeing people's changed uh, for the glory of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of it, stick around for a free lunch right after this in the multipurpose room. You don't have to sign up, just show up for Celebrate Recovery Interest Meeting. All right? All right? Hey, look at somebody next to you say, it's good to see you. Now look at the person you didn't pick and say, you too. All right? All right? Awesome, awesome, awesome. We are in the book of Philippians. We are in a series called Multiply. What we're doing is we are going through the whole New Testament. Every single Sunday is a different book of the Bible. We started this the first Sunday of January. We are wrapping it up on Easter Sunday, April 16th, with the book of Revelation. And so every single Sunday is a new book or a set of books from the New Testament. If they go together, today is the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive in. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, as we open up your word, I pray you'd open up our hearts. I pray you'd open up our minds. And God, I pray that, that Jesus, you would, you would take total control of this moment. I just want to pray exactly what Morgan led us in, and Jesus, that we just lay our kingdoms down so that you can build your kingdom in our place, in our lives. And so, Father, we are asking that this is not just church, and it's not just a couple songs and a sermon, but that we had a meeting with the one true living God in this place today. And we will never be the same because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let me ask you a question really quick. You can answer this by just raising your hand. How many of you in here today, by raising your hand, you would say you are happy? Raise your hand right now. Five of you. That's depressing. Um, but that's not, that's not surprising. The, no, most people did not raise their hands, and, and if statistics are right, then that's exactly the way that it ought to be. I read a couple of weeks ago just some surveys, that, just trying to figure out, the, 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 just trying to gauge really happiness for Americans. It discovered that over 50% of Americans are unhappy at work, okay? Don't amen that. Your boss might be here, okay? I don't know, all right? Here, here's one, here's one. I read, I read over 60% of married couples are unhappy in their marriages. Man, that's a good way to sell marriage, isn't it? Hey, you should get married. It's miserable, right? 60% of people are unhappy. Here's, here's one. Think about this for a second. I read that only one in three Americans, one in three Americans will admit to being truly happy. Only one in three. Now, now here's why we're talking about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this idea before, but did you know that God is really serious about you and I being happy? Did you know that? Did you know that God is really serious about me and you, all of us, having joy? In fact, the Bible says, uh, the Bible at one point calls God, it says, it says that God is the blessed God. And that word blessed, it's interchangeable with the word happy and joy. And so some translations actually say it this way, that God is the happy God. Did you know that? Maybe you thought that God was always ticked off and angry and upset and, you know, in heaven just with his arms crossed and I hate you. Maybe that's what you, God is happy today, guys, and God is serious about our joy. God is serious about our happiness. In fact, Randy Alcorn is an author, and he wrote a book. It's, it's just simply called Happiness, just to see what the Bible says about happiness and joy. Listen to what Randy Alcorn says, and this is, this is how big of a deal 
Happiness and joy is to God. Watch this. It's going to be on the screen. There are more than 2,700 passages in the Bible containing the words such as joy, happiness, gladness, merriment, pleasure, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, exaltation, and celebration. Think about that. Over 2,000. 2,700 passages in the Bible about joy and happiness. God makes it clear that seeking happiness through sin is wrong and fruitless. But seeking happiness in him is good and right. So so today we are in the book of Philippians. And out of those 2,700 passages in the Bible that talk about joy and happiness, 16 of them are in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And listen, if you are, if you, a lot of us are reading through the multiply, we're reading through the New Testament for multiply. And listen, if you are doing that and you are on track, well then what you need to know is you are a rock star because this week you finished up the book of Acts. And so you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and you're almost done with Romans. And so you are doing an amazing job. Now, if you're not on track, keep going, all right? Listen, I, and I'll just be honest with you, I am two days behind, okay? I am not on track, all right? But, uh, but listen, it doesn't, again, we say it every week if you are doing that. If you're not doing it, you're doing it, I want to encourage you to jump in and read the New Testament with us because the goal is not to read it by Easter. The goal is to know God, right? Right? But 16 of the 2,700 passages about joy and happiness are in the book of Philippians. Almost every verse in Philippians is easy to read. So if you're like, I don't read the Bible because it's hard to understand. Philippians isn't, okay? And I don't read the Bible because it's real long. Philippians isn't. You could probably read the whole book of Philippians in less than 15 minutes. And the theme of Philippians is joy. The theme of Philippians, everything that Paul talks about in this book is about joy. In fact, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it's not on the screen, but it just simply says this, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says this, again I will say, in case you didn't hear it the first time, again I will say rejoice. Rejoice. 16 times over and over, Paul is talking about joy. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know what? If Paul is talking, this guy talking about joy, I really don't know a lot about this Paul guy, but I bet he wrote this book probably in the Bahamas, sitting next to the pool, drinking his hand, little umbrella in the drink. You know, doesn't have any problems. And here's what you need to know about Paul the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians in jail. This is a letter from a prison cell. In fact, Paul wrote most of the New Testament in prison. And I did some research a couple of weeks ago just trying to figure out what was it like in jail for Paul. Paul was probably in jail for four to eight years during this stretch. What was it like to be in jail for the Apostle Paul? I have no idea who said this, but I found it on the Internet, so it must be true. Let me read it to you now. Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged. Pause. If you don't know what the word flogged means, Flogging is what they did to Jesus. Now, here's what that means. If you, anybody see the movie The Passion of the Christ? Okay, that's probably as close as you're going to get to actually seeing it. What it was is they would take Jesus, Paul, or criminals sentenced to die or to go to prison. They would take them, and before they sent them to the cross, before they sent them in jail, they would have them get down on their hands and knees. There'd be a block of wood, and you'd get down on it just like this right here, and there's somebody behind you with a whip in their hand. Now, in that whip, at certain points in the whip, there's tied in pieces of glass and shreds of bone. Because what would happen is when they would bring that whip down on the person, just before it hit, they would pull it back 
so that the whip actually went around the person, dug into their flesh, and when they pulled it back, it ripped their skin out. Most people die right there, okay? Let's, keep, let's continue. Was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged. A humiliating, painful, bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated as prisoners sat in painful leg and wrist chains. Mutilated, blood-stained clothing was not replaced even in the cold of winter. Most cells were dark, especially in the inner cells of a prison like the one Paul and Silas inhabited in Philippi. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Because of the miserable conditions, many prisoners begged for a speedy death. Others simply committed suicide. So here is Paul in a situation where most people apparently are trying to kill themselves, and Paul talks about joy. What is joy? What is joy? Well, for for today, for this morning, here's the definition that we're going to use of joy. We're going to define joy this way. Joy is choosing to see Jesus above everything else that I see. Say that again. Joy is choosing to see Jesus over everything else that I see. I mean, I see everything else. I see how empty the bank account is, and I see the diagnosis that I got from the doctor. I see how I got passed over for the promotion that I should have got. I see how I didn't get that job. I see what people are saying about me at school and how things don't seem to be going very well right now. I see all of that, but over all of that, I am choosing to see Jesus. Do you see that? Instead of letting those things ruin my life and steal my joy and destroy my faith, I am going to choose to see Jesus. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, listen, that sounds neat and nice for this sermon, but there's no way you can do that in real life. Listen, there's no way you can, there's no way I can have joy, Mark. You don't know what I'm going through. I would have joy if my situation changed. And here's the problem. That's, that's, That's probably not true. There are people out there who study, watch this, there are people out there who study for their full-time job, they study happiness. They're called positive psychologists. That's a job you can do, kids, study being happy, right? What do you do for a living? I'm a positive psychologist. It's so depressing because most people aren't happy. Positive psychologists, they study these things. They found this. They found that most people's happiness is only connected to 10% of their circumstances, what that means is your happiness, your happiness probably won't change based on your circumstances. That's why, you th- that's why we think this. I'm sad and depressed. I know what will make me happy, that vacation. And you go on the vacation and you get sad, and then two weeks later after you come back, you're just as miserable as you were before. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or new clothes will make me happy. And you buy it and you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm deeper in debt and I'm still not happy. Right? So, so, so it's not connected to your situation. Oh, well, Mark, well, I have joy, but I don't feel like it. I can't be happy because of the way that I feel. And, and, and I hear that, but here's the problem. Do you think your feelings can lie to you? Do, do you think your feelings can deceive you? See, see, it's a bad decision when we let the navigation of our lives, of our lives let, when we, it's a bad decision, rather, what I'm trying to say, when we put the navigation of our whole lives into the hands of our feelings. It's a bad move, bad move. Or, 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 and I want to be real sensitive here. Some of you say, Mark, I can't have any joy or be happy because this happened to me. They did this to me. They said this to me. People did this, or, or I did, because of, because of this, I can't have any joy. And again, I want to be really careful because there's a lot of people here this morning, and I know a lot of situations are in the room, and there are people in the room right now, and and you experience things at the hand of somebody that no human being should have ever experienced. 
That people, people have said things to you that no human being should say to another person. And, but, but here's what I want to say. See, our, our, the, the, the culture that we live in, we have the problem of when we do something or somebody does something to us or something happens to us, what happens a lot of times in society is we label our entire existence by that, by that event. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so here's why here's what I, I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. I can never be happy because I'm divorced. Divorce is something that might happen to you, but that's not who you are. Do you understand? And, and society wants us to label ourselves based on things that other people do to us or that we do to ourselves. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives us a new and better label. Amen? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus makes all things new so that he defines me, nothing else that other people have done to me or that I have done to me. And so, so how can I have joy? How can we have real joy. I want us to see three things. Three things that we can do to have real, lasting joy. But before I get to those three things, I gotta give us a warning, okay? Before I get to the three things, let me give you a warning, and here's my warning. Sometimes, sometimes Christians talk about life and the way God works in our lives in really simplistic terms. Do you know what I mean? You know? Have you ever shared somebody, have you ever shared like some struggle or some event that's going on in your life and man, you're having a hard time and you're talking to another believer in Christ about it and they slap you over the head with a Bible verse? You ever done that? Man, I'm just not going good, man. Things aren't going good. My kids are making really bad decisions. I just don't know what we're gonna do. We're just really having a hard time. Well, brother Romans 8, 28 says God works all things together for the good, right? Listen, that doesn't make me happy when you do that. That makes me want to slap you, okay, right? A lot of Christians talk about the way that God works in our lives in these simplistic terms. You just need to pray more. You just need to read the Bible more. You know, like a doctor, take two of these, call me in the morning. You'll be better. It doesn't work that way. Listen, I don't want you to walk away from here thinking that joy is a switch you turn on in your life. It's that easy. No, if you are taking notes and you only remember one thing I say, remember this right here. Joy is war. You gotta fight to have joy. You gotta fight to have God-given, Holy Spirit-driven joy in your life. The world's gonna fight against you, the devil's gonna fight against you, and you will fight against you. Joy is war. But how do you fight for joy? So I wanna give us three things. Three things that you and I can do to fight for joy, to have joy, and here's the first one. Joy comes from a solid foundation. Joy comes from a solid foundation. Remember, where is Paul when he wrote the book of Philippians? Where is he? You tell me. Jail. He's in jail. Philippians chapter 1. Let's read verses 12 through 14, then we're going to skip down and read 19 through 23. Philippians 1, 12 through 14 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial garden to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Skip down to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Did, Did you hear what Paul said? 
in jail probably for four to eight years in a situation where a lot of people are trying to get out or they know they can't and they're committing suicide. Paul says this in the verse we just read, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. Listen, I want you to know that what's happened to me has been, has been served to advance the gospel. I want you to know that I'm not bitter that I'm in here. I want you to know that I don't think that it's wasted time that I'm in jail right now. I want you to know that I'm not in jail every day looking at God crying out why. I get what's going on here. I might not like this jail cell, but I want you to know, church at Philippi and church at Summit, I want you to know God's using, using this jail. God is using this prison to advance the gospel. Do you see that? That is wild to me, y'all. You, listen, maybe you're holier than I am and your halo is really shiny this morning, but I promise you, if I'm in jail like this and I send you a letter, you're gonna open that letter and in that letter, just probably really big bold letters that all it says is, help! That's all it's gonna be, help! Okay, what you gotta do? Get me out, right? Help! There must have been something in Paul's life holding Paul up, Right? There must have been something in Paul's life. So here's Paul in this horrible situation, but there must have been something in Paul's life. You look at Paul, you can't see it, but there must have been something in Paul's life like a foundation that holds him up. Yeah, people go to your house, do they compliment something? Or you go to somebody's house and you compliment some things, right? You ever do that? And people might compliment, you know, your cabinets. They might compliment your countertops. They might compliment your furniture. Somebody might compliment your yard. Nobody compliments anybody's foundation. You know what I mean, right? Nobody ever goes to somebody's house, Bob, this foundation is blowing me away. It's beautiful. Doesn't happen, right? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Even though we don't do that, would you agree foundations are important, right? Would you agree without the foundation, your house won't stand? You need a foundation or everything crumbles. The foundation in Paul's life was a rock-solid belief in the sovereignty of God. The foundation in Paul's life was, was, a, uh, was a rock-solid confidence in what's called the sovereignty of God. Say, so what in the world is the sovereignty of God? Here's what the sovereignty of God is. The sovereignty of God is God's active control of everything. That's what it is. The sovereignty of God is God's active control of every single thing. And I know that we hear that and we say, but, 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 what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? No, 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 First and foremost, the sovereignty of God means that God is absolutely in control of all things at all times. Sovereignty of God means that our God reigns, Summit, amen? It means that God is on the throne. It means that God has never faced a setback. It means that God always accomplishes his purposes. It means that God is in charge of all things, Isaiah, it's on the screen here, I believe. Isaiah chapter, uh, yeah, there it is. I'll read it. Broken up. Isaiah chapter 46, verse eight through 11. There it is right there. Remember this is stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Watch this next verse, go. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God can declare the end from the beginning. God can declare how it ends before it even happens. Why? Because he's in charge of how it happens. This next verse, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purpose, and I will do it. God is in charge of all things. 
Governments, rulers, presidents, leaders, dictators, all things big, all things so small, such as calling a bird of prey from the east and a man to do his own will. God is in charge. Psalm 147 says that God's in charge of the weather. The book of Job shows us that God is so in control of all things, God is even in control of Satan. Do you know that? You read the book of Job, and Satan can only do what God lets him do. I love what the old theologian Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said that Satan is a dog at the end of God's leash. Why? Because God's in charge. Jesus says that not a hair of my head, of your head, falls to the ground apart from our Father's will. Jesus says not even a bird dies, not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of God. See, God did not create everything, step back and watch to see how it turns out, and comes up at the end to clean our mess up. No, God created. His hands are deep in the mess, and he is accomplishing right now all of his purposes. God is sovereign. So what about evil? Well, what about evil? There are horrible things that happen in the world, and there are horrible things that happen in the world. And God is so sovereign that God can take my sin, your sin, and the, hor- and the worst evil committed by human beings. God can take evil and turn it for good. Say, so prove it, the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was betrayed, stabbed in the back, sentenced to the, sentenced to the same death that, that murderers and other criminals were sentenced to. It, it was an evil, horrible event. And what did God do in that evil, horrible event? Purchase the salvation of mankind. He turned it for good. Say, so, well, Mark, if God, is, if God is that in control, what about free will? What about, what about my decisions? And, and, well, and a lot of times we ask questions like this as if those things are at odds. <laughs> as if those things are enemies. Listen, they're not enemies, church. They're, they're not at odds. In fact, we're in the book of Philippians. This is not on the screen, but look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. See how Paul handles that. My decisions and what I do every single day and God's sovereignty over my life and all of creation. Look at how Paul reconciles it. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Watch, watch, watch. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Work out your salvation. Join a life group. Become a partner. Read your Bible. Pray. Don't get satisfied with where you are spiritually. Do what you got to do to grow. Work out your salvation. I mean, God is looking at some of us and saying, bro, do you even lift? Right? That's good, man. That's good. That's funny right there. That's funny. That was way funnier than you're giving me credit for. All right? Now, I don't have any joy because of your reaction, but God can help me. Okay? That was a funny joke. Okay? Watch, work out your salvation, verse 13, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So which is it? Am I working out my salvation? Am I making the decision, hey, I need to read my Bible to grow. I need to join a life group to grow. I need to start praying so that I can have a relationship with God. Am I doing that, or is God the one doing that, Paul? And Paul looks back at us and says, yeah. Yeah, it is. You're doing it, and the whole time God's doing it in you. Paul doesn't even try to reconcile it. Listen, listen, listen. A lot of times we try to reconcile things that we really just need to accept and by, and by, faith, and by faith worship in the mystery. Do you know what I mean? A lot of times our questions are not going to be answered because if God is infinite, all of my questions are not going to be answered. But the rock-solid foundation of Paul's life is this thing called the sovereignty of God. And listen to me. I want you to lean in, man. There is nothing more practical than this. 
There is nothing more practical than this idea, this doctrine, this teaching of the word of God, that God is on the throne of your life. I've been with parents who have lost children. Right there in the moment when it happened. And with tears in their eyes, and it is the darkest moment of their life, they look at me and they say, Mark, God is good and he's still going to use this. You can't say that and mean it unless you believe in your soul. God is in charge. Say, Mark, I'm going through something right now and it's not good. God is so good. God is so much in charge. He can take something that's not good and make it good. Amen? See, the biggest joy killers in our lives are what? Anxiety, fear, depression, and all three of them, all they say is it's never going to work out. You're never going to be okay. Ends are never going to meet. Sometimes they say this, you should die. And the whole time God is saying, I am working it out. I am on the throne. I am in charge. And so if I want real joy in my life, I've got to have this rock-solid foundation. It has got to be convinced in my heart that at the end of the day, no matter what, God is God and God is good. Amen? That he is on the throne. And I can watch the news and I can look at the future of my family and I can look at the future of all things and there's a lot of unanswered questions but one thing I do know is that God can declare the end from the beginning and he is in charge. So joy comes from a foundation. That foundation is the sovereignty of God. Next thing, joy comes from giving your life away in Jesus' name. Joy comes from giving your life away in Jesus' name. Here's Paul in jail, and listen to what he says, chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, over and over, it's you, you, you. I am thinking about you. That's amazing to me. Here's Paul, and he is thinking about who? Other people. He is praying for who? He's praying for other people. See, the world's lying to us, church. The world is lying to us because the world says, hey, you're not happy, buy more stuff. Hey, you're not happy, go somewhere. Pack kids up in the car, let them cry for eight hours. When you get there, it'd be great. Right? The world is lying to us. The world's lying. Hey, here's what we do. I want to be happy, so I'm going I'm, I'm 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 to buy me some new clothes. I'm going to get a new haircut. I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to do all these things. And a lot of us, and, and here's, what, here's, what, here's what a lot of us think. You know what I need? I need some me time. And listen, praise God, we do need me time, right? I mean, I mean, listen, you need the Sabbath. You need to take care of yourself. Some of you don't have any joy. Maybe it's because you're not eating right. You're not exercising, sleeping well. But can I just be real honest with you this morning? A lot of us have been living our whole lives on me time, right? It's me, 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 me. Jesus said it's better to give than receive. See, the culture says the path to joy is getting. Jesus shows us the path to joy is giving, Right? That's why we're giving your life away means serving people. Here it is, in Jesus' name. That's what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about putting other people before yourself, serving people in Jesus' name. See, the in Jesus' name part's a big deal because I'm not talking about serving people because it makes me feel good. If I serve people because it makes me feel good, who's it really about? Me, right? I'm not serving people because that's what we ought to do. I'm not talking about serving people because, hey, hey, there's a need. we got to meet it. Listen, yes, we ought to serve. Yes, we need to meet needs. 
But as followers of Jesus, the main motivation in our lives is we serve because Jesus served us, right? Right, right, right? We serve because we have been served by the Son of God. And he gave his life for us. And so I want other people to know his love. I want other people to know his grace. So I will serve people, but I'm serving in Jesus' name. And some of there is joy in putting people before ourselves. This could not be any clearer. Look at this verse, all right? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has given every follower of Jesus spiritual gifts. Let me ask you a question. Are you serving people in Jesus' name? Are you? Well, I'm sure I, I'm sure I probably am. Surely I am. Surely, surely. I was on Facebook last week, and I read about some family, and I felt real bad. Does that count? Right? I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure, sure I'm doing that. Sure I'm doing that. Sure I'm doing that. Right? God has given you a spiritual gift. And, and here's what happens. A lot of times we make spiritual gifts way more mystical and way harder than it needs to be. So many people in so many churches are sitting there doing this. Oh my gosh, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Oh my gosh, they know and they know and they know and I don't know. And then all of a sudden we die and we stand in front of Jesus and he looks at us and says, you bonehead. Do you want to know how to, take, how to know your spiritual gift? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I'm such a nice guy, I will tell you right now how to know your spiritual gift. Here it is. Serve. Your, your response is underwhelming, to say the least. Do you want to know how to know your spiritual gift? Serve. There you go. There you go. No, no, no. You don't believe that. That's why you're like, I hate this church. I don't like that guy. I think I should just pray for 50 years about what my spiritual gift is. Do you want to know your spiritual gift? Serve somebody. Just do something and watch what happens because what happens all the time is that as you serve, God will show you the area and the way that he wants to use you. Now, we have this wrong because we think, oh, my gosh, my spiritual gift and the way God uses me, surely it's going to lead to this big platform. Surely I'm the next Billy Graham. Surely I'm going to have millions of Facebook followers and everything that I do online gets retweeted and liked and shared. And listen, it might be, but can you serve God faithfully while nobody knows who you are? Because if not, you won't serve him. Maybe you serve in Summit Kids, and maybe you serve people in your neighborhood. Maybe you're making meals for people that you live next to. Maybe you're serving at Second Chance Mission. Maybe you're serving in guest services. Maybe you are trying to reach out to your classmates. Maybe you're trying to serve your teammates. I don't know, but are you serving anybody in Jesus' name? Listen, if you want to know your spiritual gift, if you want to experience the joy of serving, just start serving. It really is. It's truly that simple. That's why I think everybody in here should serve, should serve. You can flip your connection card over right now and check, I want to volunteer, I want to serve, and we can get you connected. But there is joy in giving ourselves away, serving people in Jesus' name. Maybe you're doing that at work. Maybe you're really trying to raise your kids up in the Lord so that they would be disciples. And, but are you serving anyone in Jesus' name? See, joy comes from the solid foundation of the sovereignty of God, and joy comes from giving our life away. And here's the last one. Joy comes from declaring, I have enough. I have enough. Answer this on screen. I would be happy if I had what? Think about it. 
See, the world is gonna tell you you need to fill that blank. The world is gonna tell you you will need to fill that blank with a new car or a better car, a new house or a better house, getting on the team, starting on the team, graduating top of your class, going to that college, getting into that school, making that score on that test, and on 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 and on. And we know that's not true, right? But I keep falling for it. I don't know about you, but I keep believing it. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse eight. Philippians chapter three, verse eight, Indeed, I count everything as lost. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let me ask you, what in your life right now has infinite value? Infinite value. Infinite value. What? Your car doesn't. Bro, you ain't seen my ride. I don't care about your ride. One day that ride's gonna break down. Right? One day you're going to have to trade that thing in. Your car doesn't. Your health doesn't. One day you'll lose it. Your friends and family aren't of infinite value. One day you'll lose them. You'll be without them. What Your job isn't of infinite value. One day you won't work there. Your athletic ability isn't of infinite value. One day you won't be that good. There is only one thing that is of infinite value, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. That's it. See, See, Jesus, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus is of infinite value because he has given us himself. He has given us eternal life. He gives us forgiveness and purpose and hope and peace and grace and mercy. Listen, Jesus has given us everything that we need so that I can declare I have enough. Why? Because Jesus is enough, Summit, right? Jesus is enough. That's why I have enough. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. That's why I have enough. And we spend so much time focusing on our problems, don't we? We spend so much time focusing on our problems, focusing on what we don't have, focusing on what other people have, and we wish that we had it. Focusing, focusing on what other people are doing and what instead of what well, we spend so much time focusing on our problems and what we don't have instead of what we do have in Christ. Let me ask you, what are you focused on in your life? What are you focused on? Listen to this. I love Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, verse eight says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you focused on? Are you focused on your problems or the God over your problems? I'm going to close this way. I'm going to close this way. All right. In Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5. We talked about Galatians a couple of weeks ago. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit, first one is love. Does anybody know what the second one is? It's joy. Joy. And, and what that means is I can, I can tell what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life based on how much joy that I have. Can I be honest with you? I wish the Bible didn't say that. I wish the Bible says that I can do, I can tell, I I wish the Bible says that I can tell what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life based on how good the sermon is. 
Or I wish, that, I wish the Bible says I can tell what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life based on how many Oreos I can eat at one time. That's what I wish. But instead the Bible says that I can tell how active and how real the Holy Spirit is in my life based on how much joy I have. And the absence of joy in my life says something is wrong with me. Do you have joy? Do, do you have real Holy Spirit given, God given, the world can't take it away? Do you have that kind of joy? And can I just tell you why this matters? This is not, hey, we should be happier. Let me tell you why this matters. This matters because the outside world knows that followers of Jesus ought to be happy. Amen? And when they look at the church and we're just focused on our problems, moping around all the time, angry online, you didn't amen that. And then we look at, hey, you want to go to my church? No, I don't. It sounds awful. I don't want to go. The world knows it. Why don't we know it? I will lay my cards on the table. I was thinking about this sermon, and I asked myself, I wonder if anybody that I know in my life would say, Mark Holmes is a guy filled with joy. And the answer to that is no. I don't think that they would. I think that people who know me, because here's what people say to me all the time. You look real stressed. You seem like a guy that's got a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things you're trying to carry. My kids say this to me all the time. My kids will walk up to me like it's like 8 in the morning. I've been awake for five minutes. They'll walk up to me. They'll say, Dad, what's wrong? I'll say nothing. Why? And they'll say, you look unhappy. I've been up five minutes. You're not making me happy right now. You're grounded. I don't see a lot of joy in my life. And what that means is there's something wrong with me. And what that means is there is an absence of the Spirit of God at work in my life. Do you understand this? This is a big deal, church. Do you have joy? And see, the cry for joy is really the cry, God, I need the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation today. The invitation is that, God, I need the Holy Spirit. I'm such a mess. I'm so focused on my problems. I'm so focused on what I don't have. I'm complaining about a life that somebody else would love to have. God, I need help. I need the Spirit of God come fresh and new in my life. Is that where you're at? That is where I'm at right now, in this moment, on this stage. That's the invitation. God, I need this Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And in just a moment, the band's gonna come and they're gonna sing a song called Come As You Are because that is the invitation. You can come just as you are, just as you are right there. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cover up. You don't have to fake. I'm doing good. And the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus are up in heaven saying, no, you're not. You're a mess. You are a hot mess.
And you and I will always be that way until we just go to God and say, God, I am sorry, I need you. So that's the invitation. They're gonna sing, and we can stand and sing, but we can come down here. I'm gonna open this up, and if you need to come here and pray, I'm gonna open up the altar this morning. We're gonna pray. But maybe you're here today and you don't have any joy in your life because maybe you don't know Jesus. And and you're trying to find joy in stuff and in relationships and all all kinds of different things. And I just want to say to you today, because I have tasted and seen that God is good. I'm talking to me. I have tasted and seen that God is good. I've tasted it. I just want to say today that if you're here today without Christ, Jesus loves you, and he is ready and waiting for you to come to him. All you need to do is come, and he will not turn you away. And you can have joy because you can have Jesus. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Let's pray. Jesus, we we just come to you, God, and we don't need, we don't need some, we don't need some cute church service where we came and we, we go home, we have lunch and call it a day, God, we need you. And so, God, that's our prayer today. Our prayer is we just need the Holy Spirit. We just want the Holy Spirit to be real in our lives, evident in our lives, working in our lives. We want the Holy Spirit to give us joy because the world can't. And we are so tired. We are so tired of trying to find it in places we already know it's not going to be there. But it is with you. So Holy Spirit, fill us anew today. Fill us fresh today. Make us desperate. Desperate for you. There's joy in that. I pray for the person who's here today and they don't know Christ, that they would run to him in prayer. That right now in this moment, they would take hold of this moment and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. And Jesus, you promise that when, when, when we cry out to you like that, when one sinner calls out to you for grace, they get grace. So God, I pray they do it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. As our worship team sings this song, you're free to stand and worship, but I would love for you if you say, hey, I, that's my prayer today. I'm gonna open this up. Just come here and pray right now. Just come up here and pray. Come on. sadness from wherever you've been come broken heart let rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come kneel earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow
bow your heads, close your eyes. So many people coming up front today just to talk and make decisions. Let me just ask in this moment of prayer before we dismiss, how many of you just by simply raising your hands will say, Mark, that's my prayer today. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand right now. I love the hands all over this room are up. That's our prayer, God. And we need the we need the Spirit of God. Fill us in a new way, in a fresh way. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you are here today and you need Jesus, I want you to know that he is closer than you could ever imagine. He is right here today, ready to save, ready to make all things new. And if you want to give your life to Christ, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me and say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. I give my life to you right here in this moment. Make all things new in me and help me to follow you from this moment forward. I want you to be my Lord in your name. Amen. With no one looking around, no eyes open, if you just prayed that prayer today to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, will you just raise your hand right now in this moment so that I can see it, celebrate with you? Say, Mark, today I gave my life to Jesus for the first time. Raise it right now. If that's you, just raise it up. Amen. Amen. God, you are what we need. The world is not going to give it to us. They are going to tell us that they can. And they are liars. You are what we need, and in Christ we have enough. And so God, as we depart here, help us to remember that over and over and over this week, that Christ is the only source of everlasting joy. It's in his name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. Church, let's thank God for today. Let's praise God for right now. Hey, really quick, really quick before I let you go. If you are a first or second time guest, man, we'd love to meet you. We've got a free gift for you out there at our welcome table. Don't forget to celebrate recovery interest meeting. It's about to start. They're getting that room ready over there. You can just head over there. We've got a free lunch for you. But guys, I just believe that God just did something significant today, man, just praying with a lot of people. So don't forget what we've talked about today, what God showed us, that Jesus is the source of everlasting joy. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. God bless you guys.